0: Lux presents Hollywood. Lever Brothers Company, makers of Lux toilet soap, bring you the Lux Radio Theater presenting The Day the Earth Stood Still. Greetings from Hollywood, ladies and gentlemen. There is an ever present question that has puzzled and intrigued our world for centuries. Is there life on any of the other planets? So, in tonight's play, we will tell you of a possible momentous event in our future, the arrival on this planet of a man from outer space. We now raise the curtain on Act One of The Day the Earth Stood Still.
1: It was a pleasant spring day, an ideal day for a walk in the park, a day to push the baby buggy, and be glad you were alive. There's been at least twenty such sparkling days that spring, and perhaps a billion or more of them since the earth began, and nothing had ever happened to spoil them but a few small fires, or a slight head cold in the evening, or a rain squall. This spring day, in the middle of the marvelous twentieth century, was different. It was the most different day that had happened to mankind since the first Christmas. The thing was noticed in Hong Kong first, on the British radar.
2: But that's impossible! That thing must be doing about 4,000!
1: That can't be an aircraft, sir. Must be a
2: buzz bomb. Better give an alarm. Keep it steady, though. Maybe faulty equipment.
1: If the British radar in Hong Kong was faulty, so was the radar all over the Orient and Asia and Europe. So were the announcers on the radio.
3: The government in Delhi reports it has been tracked for two orbits so
4: far.
5: It
1: suddenly appeared beyond the orbit of the moon and rapidly took position circling the Earth. The American radar screen quickly confirmed the fact that there was nothing wrong with the British radar, and there was something very gravely wrong 40 miles out in space, far above the Earth.
0: This is Drew Perkins again. We still don't know what it is or where it comes from, but there's something there. It has been tracked around the Earth by radar, traveling at a rate of 4,000 miles an hour. This is not another flying saucer scare. Scientists and military men are already agreed on that. Whatever it is, it's something real. We, this just in, a bulletin received from one of our naval units at sea. A large object moving at supersonic speed is traveling over the North Atlantic toward the east coast of the United States. Here in the nation's capital, there is anxiety and concern, but No outward sign of panic. As a matter of fact, there are signs of normalcy. The beautiful spring weather, the tourist crowds around public monuments, and other buildings. From my studio overlooking the park, I can see families picnicking, children playing, and all the typical sights of it. What? Phil! Phil! Look out your window! Do you see something too? Yeah, in the sky, off to the
2: east.
1: Then it was here. Incredibly, it was here, burning down through the sky over Washington D.C., hovering over the mall, descending.
4: They've landed! Hey, look, the army! I guess they knew they were coming. Looks like they're headed over there. I'm going back!
1: Not a sound. Stillness. Not a move from the cordon of tanks and armored cars and troops in full battle dress. Not a sound or gesture from the monstrous domed disc resting on the grass.
0: Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. This is Drew Perkins. We bring you this special on-the-spot radio broadcast in order to give you the very latest on an amazing phenomenon, the arrival of a spaceship in Washington. Government and Defense Department officials are concerned by reports of panic in several large eastern cities. I am authorized to assure you that, so far, there is no reasonable cause for alarm. The rumors of invading armies and mass destruction are based on hysteria and are absolutely false. I repeat, these rumors are absolutely false. The ship, designed for travel outside the Earth's atmosphere, landed in Washington today at 3.47 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We still do not know where it came from. The ship is now resting exactly where it landed two hours ago. So far, there is no sign of life from inside the ship. Troops have been rushed across the Potomac from Fort Myer and have thrown a cordon around the ship. They are supported by tanks, artillery, and machine guns. Behind the police lines, there is a huge crowd of curiosity seekers. The Army has taken every precaution to meet any emergency which may develop. Every eye, every weapon is trained upon the ship. It's been that way for two hours and the tension is just beginning to... Yeah, just a minute, ladies and gentlemen. I think something is happening. Yeah, the spaceship is opening up. Someone is coming out. Now keep calm, everybody, don't get excited. Keep calm, quiet.
1: A wedge is opened in the smooth, unbroken metal skin of the spaceship. A ramp slithers out onto the grass. Against an eerie glow of unearthly light from inside the spaceship stands the spaceman. He is a man entirely like ourselves. He wears a close-fitting suit like a deep-sea diver's armor, but of alien material. A spherical helmet entirely conceals his head. He holds up his hand. He is going to speak.
3: We have come to visit you in peace and with good will. Receive me as a friend.
0: Here he comes, men. Uh, watch it! Keep that BAR trained on him!
1: He-he's going for something in his tunic. Quiet! It's a ray gun or something. I'm gonna let him have it. No! No! Wait! And you fool! He's down. You hold
0: back the crowd. Everybody, back. Yeah, your wound doesn't look too bad. I'm sorry, but you shouldn't have gone for that ray gun.
3: It, it was not a weapon.
0: He understands us.
3: It was a gift for your president. With it, you might have studied life on other planets.
0: Oh, what's bothering the crowd, Lieutenant? Tell them to... Oh. Oh, no. Oh, no!
1: A nightmare stands on the ramp leading out of the spaceship. A mechanical giant. Monstrous. All metal and menace. With a visor in his helmet lifting slowly, revealing a dreadful light boiling within that metal head. And suddenly, out of that incandescence, a narrow ray.
0: Holy Pete! The barrel's starting to blow. Friends, too!
2: climb out. Everyone, out! No.
1: Rifles, tanks, artillery glow with the terrible incandescence and become vapor and a mush of puddled steel and in the deathly silence that follows, the robot strides down the ramp. The Avenger, from where?
3: Good. Dinglet, let's go. He won't hurt you now.
0: Get that ambulance over here. Take him to Walter Reed Hospital right away.
2: Good afternoon,
3: sir. Good afternoon.
2: The doctors here tell me your wound is not serious.
3: No, it amazes them that it's almost healed already. I'm very glad. That should serve as some sort of indication of our capabilities.
2: My name is Harley, a Secretary to the President. I've been told you speak our language fluently that your name is Mr. Klaatu. Just Klaatu. President has asked me to convey our deepest apologies for what has happened. Mm
3: -hmm. Sit down, Mr. Harley.
2: Yeah, I'm sure I don't have to point out that your arrival was something of a surprise. Uh, Had you been traveling long?
3: About five months. Your months.
2: you must have come a long way.
3: About 250 million of your miles.
2: Uh, Well, naturally, we're very curious to know where you come from
3: from another planet. Let's just say that we're neighbors.
2: Huh, well it's rather difficult for us to think of another planet as a neighbor.
3: I'm afraid in the present situation you'll have to learn to think that way. The present situation? I mean the reason for my coming here. Would
2: you care to talk about it?
3: Not now, nor with you alone.
2: Uh, Perhaps you'd rather uh, discuss it personally with the president?
3: This is not a personal matter, Mr. Harley. It concerns all the people on your planet. I'm not sure I understand. I want to meet with the representatives from all the nations of the Earth.
2: Well, I'm afraid that would be a little awkward. Why? It's completely without precedent. And the practical considerations, the time involved, the enormous distances... I traveled 250 million miles. Well, so I appreciate that, but uh, well, I want to be frank with you, Mr. Well, I mean, Two. Our world at the moment is full of tensions and suspicions. In the present international situation, such a meeting would be quite impossible.
3: What about your United Nations?
2: You know about the United Nations.
3: We've been monitoring your radio broadcasts for a good many years. That is how we learned your languages.
2: Well, I'm sure you recognize from our broadcasts the evil forces that have produced trouble in our world. Now, now surely you. I am not-,
3: not concerned, Mr. Harley, with the internal affairs of your planet. My mission here is not to solve your petty squabbles. It concerns the existence of every last creature who lives on Earth. It must not be complicated by the childish jealousies and intrigues and suspicions of your planet.
2: Well, perhaps if you could explain a little what you- Oh, want. I
3: intend to explain to all the nations of the Earth at the same time. So how do we proceed, Mr. Harley?
2: Well, I suppose we could uh, call a meeting of the U.N. General Assembly. Uh, But of course the United Nations doesn't represent all the nations of the Earth. Uh, Our problems are very complex. You mustn't judge us too harshly.
3: I am impatient with stupidity. My people have learned to live without it. I don't want to resort to threats, Mr. Harley. I merely tell you that the future of your planet is at stake. I urge that you transmit that message to the nations of the Earth.
2: The President will, of course, do his best to bring about the meeting you desire. I know it would be quite useless. I wish it were otherwise. I'm very sorry, Mr. Klautu.
3: Apparently, I'm not as cynical about Earth's people as you are. Before making any grave decisions, I think I should get out among your people and become familiar with the basis for these strange, unreasoning attitudes.
2: Our military people insist that you do not attempt to leave the hospital, uh, for your own safety, of course. The door will be locked. I'm sure you understand. Good day, Mr. Kwatu.
3: The door will be locked, (laughs) will it now?
1: Latu escaped. Nor could the embarrassing news of his disappearance long be suppressed. It was read about in the papers and described in excited tones over the radio.
0: The authorities at Walter Reed Hospital still refuse to comment on how he managed to escape except to say that he broke into a hospital locker and stole clothing belonging to a staff doctor. While the government does not minimize the crisis, it urges people all over the world to remain calm. Calm, he says. Just
4: terrible.
1: This was the latest and the only news. And among the countless millions listening were two women and a girl in an ordinary home on an ordinary street in Washington. Mrs. Crockett's rooming house. There was Mrs. Crockett and Helen Benson and little Susie Benson.
0: We are warned, however, that this is no ordinary manhunt and we may be up against powers that are beyond our control or understanding. And that we- Oh, I just can't stand any more of this.
4: Oh, I wanted to hear more, Mrs. Crockett. It's exciting, isn't it, Mother? Hush, Susie. Exciting? It's enough to drive a person- Oh! Who are you?
3: I'm sorry. I saw your sign outside, and the door was open. My name is Carpenter. Yes? I'm looking for a room.
4: Oh, oh, yes.
5: I do have a nice room. Are you a (laughs) G-man?
3: No, I'm afraid not.
5: I bet he is, Mom. I bet he's looking for that spaceman.
6: I think we've all been hearing too much about spacemen, Mr. Carpenter.
4: This is Mrs. Benson, Mr. Carpenter. How do you do? And this is little Susie, my youngest guest. Hi. I'm Mrs. Crockett. You're a long way from home, aren't you, Mr. Carpenter? How do you know? Oh-ho! I can tell a New England accent every time. This way, please, Mr. Carpenter. And so, this Sunday morning, we ask the question that has been plaguing the entire world for two days now. Where is the creature and what is he up to? Eat your cereal, Susie.
5: Oh, Mom, I'm almost full as it is. Susie. Uh, okay, Mr. Carpenter.
6: I'm sorry, Mrs.
5: Crockett. Please go
6: on reading.
5: Oh, um, Creature, what is he up here? Uh, if he could build a spaceship that
4: can fly to Earth, and a robot that can destroy our tanks and guns, what other terrors can he unleash at will? Wow.
5: It'd be really neat to meet him.
4: Obviously, we must track down this monster and destroy him before he destroys us. Correct! Then why don't they do it? This
6: spaceman, or whatever he is, we automatically assume he's a menace. Maybe he isn't, after all.
4: Well then, where is he, Mrs. Benson? What's he up to?
6: Maybe he's afraid.
4: Huh. He's afraid! Well, after all, he was shot the
6: minute he landed here. I just was wondering what I'd
4: do.
3: Perhaps before deciding upon a course of action, you'd want to know more about the people here. Nothing strange about the people in Washington. A person from another planet might disagree with you.
6: Oh! It's all right, Mrs. Crockett. That's Mr. Stevens calling for me. I'll go to the door.
4: Awful robot standing there like an ugly iron statue. Oh, gives me the shivers.
6: Morning, Tom.
2: Hello, Helen. Hey, can anybody see us? No. <laughs> <laughs> So, all right, we're all set. I picked up some sandwiches and put gas in the car, and the radio's busted so we could forget about the spaceman for a day, huh?
6: I haven't been able to arrange for anyone to stay with Susie. Mrs. Crockett's going out, and I don't suppose we could take her with us?
2: Oh, uh, we could. Just
6: today, Mrs. Crockett has plans, and I don't know who else to ask.
3: I haven't any plans.
6: Oh, Mr. Carpenter.
3: I'd be glad to spend the day with Susie, if you'll let me.
6: Great, thanks. Well, it's very nice of you to offer. Oh, I'm sorry, Mr. Carpenter, this is Tom Stevens.
3: Hi. How do you do? Susie and I had a fine time yesterday afternoon. We talked and listened to the radio. I thought today she might like to show me around the city. Well, I... Oh, please, I'd enjoy it.
5: And this is where my father is buried. Robert Benson, Virginia, 1st Lieutenant, 45th Infantry. April 10th, 1916 to January 29th,
3: 1944. Your father was very young, wasn't he, Susie?
5: He was killed at Anzio.
3: Did all these people here die in the wars?
5: Oh, most of them. Didn't you ever hear of Arlington Cemetery?
3: I'm afraid not.
5: You don't seem to know much about anything, Mr. Carpenter.
3: I've been far away, Susie.
5: Well, Don't they have places like this where you've been?
3: Not like this one. You see, they... Well, they don't have any wars.
5: Gee, that's a good idea.
3: Come on, let's walk. All right. So, what would you like to do now?
5: to the movies. All right. No fooling?
3: No fooling. Uh, uh, Do you need to have money to go there?
5: Well, I've got two dollars. I'll treat you, okay?
3: No, no. I want to take you. Look, do you uh, think they'd accept these?
5: Gee, what are they? Diamonds?
3: Well, in some places, these are what people use for money. They're easy to carry, and they don't wear out.
5: They're worth a million dollars.
3: Would you give me your two dollars for two of these?
5: Uh, sure. Okay.
3: There you are. Um,
5: let's not say anything to Mom about this, huh? Why not? Well, she doesn't like me to take advantage of people. Oh uh, hey, before we go to the movies, would you like to see the Abraham Lincoln Memorial?
3: Thank you. Yes, I would.
5: Well, this is it. That's the Jettysburg speech up there.
3: That this nation, under God, shall have a new birth of freedom And that government of the people, by the people, for the people, shall not perish from the earth. Those are great words.
5: That's his statue.
3: That's the kind of man I'd like to talk to. Susie, who's the greatest man in America today?
5: Hmm. Gee, I don't know. The the spaceman, I guess.
3: (laughs) No, I was speaking of earthmen.
5: Oh, uh, I don't know. Uh, the president?
3: No, I mean the greatest philosopher, the, the greatest thinker, scholar.
5: Oh, you mean the smartest man. Well, that's Professor Barnhart, I guess.
3: Yes, Professor Barnhart?
5: He's the greatest scientist in the world. He lives right here in Washington, uh, right near where my mother works. Where is that? Department of Commerce. She's a secretary. Not like that guy on the radio with the president. She's a real secretary. Why?
3: I have an idea, Susie. Let's go see Professor Barnhart.
5: What for?
3: You just said he's the greatest man in America.
5: (laughs) You're kidding, aren't you?
3: Wouldn't you like to meet him?
5: Sure I would. Oh, go on. I bet you'd be scared. Hmm.
3: Maybe we can scare him more than he can scare us.
5: <laughs> I like you, Mr. Carpenter. You're a real screwball. <laughs> Gee, maybe the professor isn't at home.
3: Let's take a look through that window.
5: I'll bet this is where he works. Look in there. Books all over. Blackboards full of stuff. Ah, uh, door's locked too.
3: Is it? Let me try.
5: Oh, well,
3: No, it isn't, Susie.
5: Well, that's funny.
3: We'll go in and we'll wait for him. I'm sure he won't mind.
5: Gee, just think! All the brains that goes on in here? What's all that stuff on the blackboard?
3: It's a problem in celestial mechanics.
5: I bet he's the only one in the whole world that can figure the answer.
3: I'll never get the answer that way. Let's see.
5: Hey! It says, don't erase, don't touch!
3: Okay, this is right. Check. Correct. Correct. And here's where he gets off the track. Well, we'll fix that. So... So...
5: You must be an arithmetic teacher, I bet.
3: Refactor and resolve. There.
4: Who are you? Uh Uh-oh. How dare you come in like this? How dare you write on that blackboard? Do you realize the professor's been working on that problem for weeks?
3: He'll solve it in no time now.
4: What do you want?
3: We came to see Professor Barnard.
4: Well, he's not here, and he won't be back until evening. I think you'd better leave.
3: Will you tell him that Mr. Carpenter was here? 1615 M Street, Northwest. I think he'll want to talk to me.
4: <laughs> Indeed.
3: Thank you. Oh, and it may have entered your mind to erase what I've written on the blackboard?
4: It certainly has.
3: I wouldn't do that. The professor needs it rather badly. Come on, Susie. Hmm.
4: Well, we'll just see what the professor thinks of this. Carpenter, 1615 M Street, Northwest Carpenter, M Street, 15 si- Operator? Give me the FBI.
0: We will have Act Two of the day the Earth stood still in just a few moments. Isn't our cast wonderful, folks? Sally Presswitch, who plays Helen Benson in our show, knows a good thing when she sees it too because she's a real Lux girl. You'll be getting in on a good thing too once you use mild and gentle Lux toilet soap. Nine out of ten Hollywood stars like Geraldine Page and Patricia Neal have found that really there's no soap quite like Lux. And now, Act Two of The Day the Earth Stood Still.
1: It is early evening of the same day. Tom Stevens and Helen Benson drive up to the boarding house after their picnic, quite unaware of the dark squad car parked at the curb a few feet ahead.
2: Well, here we are.
6: Thank you, Tom. It was a wonderful day.
2: You, uh, still haven't answered my question. Oh,
6: you know how I feel, Tom but I still want time to think it over.
2: Ah, if I could only tell the boss I was getting married and acquiring two dependents.
6: You're a good salesman.
2: A good salesman wouldn't give you time to think about it. (laughs) Good night. Uh, Didn't you forget something? (laughs) Now, good night. (laughs) Good night. Good night.
6: Mr. Carpenter. Hi, Mom. Hello, darling.
3: Uh, Mrs. Benson, this is Mr. Brady.
5: Uh, How do you do? How do you do? Mr. Brady is a government agent. Oh. Uh, Did you have a nice day, Susie? We had a swell time, didn't we, Mr. Carpenter?
3: Yes, we did.
5: We went to the movies, and had a banana split, and went to see Daddy. Oh, I don't know how to
6: thank you, Mr. Carpenter.
3: I enjoyed every minute of it. We better get going. Oh, yes. Good night, Susie.
6: Good night.
3: I'll tell you the rest of that story tomorrow. Good night, Mrs. Benson. Good night.
0: Nice meeting you, Mrs. Benson.
6: Thank you.
5: Why did Mr. Carpenter have to go with Mr. Brady?
6: I don't know. Maybe it was a mistake.
5: Upstairs with you. Yeah, we sure had fun today. We went all over Washington. And we went to see Professor Barnhart. Professor
6: Barnhart?
5: Oh, sure. Barnhart? Up to bed now,
6: pronto.
0: Is this the man you wanted to see, Professor Barnhart?
2: Oh, thank you, Mr. Brady. I, may I speak to Mr. Carpenter alone, please? Yeah, I'll wait outside, Professor. Uh, you are Mr. Carpenter?
3: Yes, Professor.
2: Who wrote those equations on my blackboard?
3: My clumsy way of introducing myself.
2: <laughs> Forgives the manner in which you were picked up. Uh, He'll call the FBI people before I saw your annotations on the board. I appreciate the need for security, Professor. I'm not quite the problem, even with your remarkable
3: assistance, Mr. Carpenter. Let's look at it, sir. All you have to do now is substitute this expression at this point.
2: Yes, that will reproduce the first order term, but what about the effect of the other term? Negligible.
3: With variation of parameters, this is the answer.
2: How could you be so sure? Uh, Have you tested this theory?
3: I find it works well enough to get me from one planet to another.
2: Your are too.
3: I spent two days at your Walter Reed Hospital. I was interviewed there by-
2: I need no proof. (laughs) This blackboard is proof enough.
3: Now, if you're not interested, or if you intend to turn me over to the army, we needn't waste any more time.
2: (laughs) Interested? Uh, Will you excuse me for one moment, please? Uh, Mr. Brady, uh, you may go now. Uh, Please thank General Cutler and tell him... uh, Tell him I know this gentleman. So much for that, Cutler. Please sit down.
3: You have faith, Professor?
2: Faith and uh, curiosity? Uh, Do sit down. I have several thousand questions I'd like to ask you.
3: I would like to explain my mission here. That is my first question. It was my hope to discuss this officially with all the nations of the world. I was not allowed the opportunity. Now we know from scientific observation that your planet has discovered a rudimentary kind of atomic energy. We also know that you are experimenting with rockets.
2: Yes, that is true. Uh, What exactly is the nature of your mission?
3: To warn you that your planet faces danger. What I have to say must be said to all concerned. I come to you as a last resort. Must I take drastic action in order to get a hearing? What sort
2: of action do you mean?
3: Violent action? Perhaps leveling the island of Manhattan? Or toppling the Rock of Gibraltar into the sea? Well?
2: Would you, uh, for example, uh, be willing to meet with a group of scientists I'm calling together? Uh, We are having our first meeting tonight. Uh, Perhaps you could explain your mission to them, and they, in turn, could present it to their various peoples.
3: That is what I came to see you about.
2: Uh, one thing, Klaatu. Uh, suppose this group should reject your proposals? What is the alternative?
3: There is no alternative, Professor. In such a case, the planet would have to be eliminated.
2: Such power exists?
3: I assure you, such power exists.
2: The scientists who are attending these meetings have come from all over the world. Uh, The power you speak of, they they must be made to realize that it exists. Now, you mentioned a demonstration of force. Yes. Something that would affect the entire planet.
3: That can be arranged, Mm,
2: yes. Perhaps a a
3: little demonstration. (laughs) Something dramatic, but not destructive. That's quite an interesting problem. Now, would tomorrow be all right? If you say so. Say about noon.
2: Then, tomorrow at noon. Good.
3: Going out tonight, Mrs. Benson? Oh,
6: <laughs> oh! It's you, Mr. Carpenter.
3: I'm afraid I startled you.
6: Yes, I am going out. Mr. Stevens is calling for me.
3: Everyone seems so... Jittery as well. world. Susie's the only person I know who isn't uh, jittery. She's well, a fine girl, Mrs. Benson.
6: Naturally, I think so.
3: Warm, friendly, intelligent. She's the only real friend I've made since I've been here.
6: Mr. Carpenter, th- this is none of my business, but... W- Why did that detective come here last night, that Mr. Brady?
3: Oh, Susie and I tried to see Professor Barnhart in the afternoon, but he wasn't in. Apparently they thought I was looking for secrets of some kind. Oh, that must be Tom now.
4: Oh, Mr. Stevens, do come in. Helen is in the sitting room.
6: (laughs) Alert, Mrs. Crockett. She has a romantic mind.
2: Hello there, Helen. Hey, not a moment to spare. You ready? Uh, Hello, Carpenter. Uh, Picture starts at 8.50 on the dot, Helen.
6: I'll be ready in a minute. I was just talking to Mr. Carpenter.
2: Oh, I hope Mr.
3: Carpenter won't think I'm intruding. Excuse me, I was just going up to my room. Good night.
6: Uh, Good night, Mr. Carpenter.
3: Have a good time, both of you.
6: Thank you.
2: Tom, that was awful. I'm sorry. I guess I'm just tired of hearing about Mr. Carpenter, Mr. Carpenter. Shh! I don't like the way he's attached himself to you and Susie. After all, what do you know about him?
6: Very little, it's true. Well, let's not stand and talk about it anymore. I'll I'll go up and get my things.
5: Gee, Mr. Carpenter. Thanks a lot for helping me with my homework.
3: That's all there is to it, Susie. All you have to remember is first, find the common denominator and then subtract.
5: Gotcha. Thanks, Mr. Carpenter.
6: I'm leaving with Tom, Susie. You'll go to bed on time now, won't you?
3: I'll say goodnight again, Mrs. Benson.
6: Mr. Carpenter. Yes? Uh, Ugh, nothing. Good night.
3: Good night. Night, Susie.
6: Susie, I think it would be better if you didn't see quite so much of Mr. Carpenter.
5: Well, gee, why, Mom? He's swell. I like him, and he's awful good at arithmetic. He even helped Professor Barnhart.
6: Uh, I'm sure he's a very nice man. I just think he might prefer to be left alone. Now... Go to bed, darling.
5: Why would he want to be left alone? Uh, Don't forget to brush your teeth. Come in.
3: Susie, do you have a flashlight I might borrow for tonight?
5: Oh, uh, sure, Mr. Carpenter. It's a real army one. My dad sent it to me.
3: Thank you, Susie.
5: Well, why do you want
3: it? The light in my room went out. See you tomorrow. Better get to bed now.
5: Gee, I wonder if the batteries are any good. I better tell Mr. Carpenter.
1: When Susie stepped out into the hall, what she saw down the hallway puzzled her. Mr. Carpenter's door was ajar, and light was pouring out of his room.
5: Honey, he said his light went out.
1: Then Mr. Carpenter came out, carrying the flashlight and stealing down the steps like a thief. This was peculiar, but this was adventure. And what she saw couldn't have been a dream. It was too real. But it couldn't have been true, either. It was too deliciously frightful. Dream or not, it was filled with darkness and amazement. Susie followed Mr. Carpenter out the door, down the block, two blocks, three. She followed him across the street and into the grassy expanse of the National Mall, the scene of so much activity that now lay quiet and still. The darkness was stung by staccato flashes from a genuine army flashlight, flashes that activated a giant robot into knocking out his guards, so that Mr. Carpenter from the boarding house could get into the shed the army had built around the spaceship. And dream or not, Susie saw Mr. Carpenter go into the spaceship. And then a wave of sheer terror swept over Susie at last as she turned and ran wildly away, the way little girls always run in nightmares, trying so hard and moving so slowly, and all the time falling down. It was awful. It was swell. When her mother came home around midnight, Susie was curled up on the sofa, Instantly, she jumped up and ran to her mother and Tom Stevens as they came into the hallway.
5: Mom! Mom!
6: Listen! Susie! What are you doing down here at this hour,
2: fully dressed?
5: Hello, Mr. Stevens. Mom, I had to tell ya!
2: Tell me what? What's the matter, Susie?
5: I followed Mr. Carpenter tonight, right after you left, and gee, where do you think he went? Right into the spaceship! Oh, now, Susie, just one minute. Honest, Mom, I saw him. They got a shed built around the spaceship so nobody can get to it, but Mr. Carpenter flashed a signal to that Iron Man up there, and what do you think? Susie, have
6: you
2: been dreaming again? (laughs) Why, sure.
5: No, Mom, honest, I haven't. I promise you, I saw it.
2: Where did you see all of this?
5: Well, I'm telling you, I'm the lawn down at the mall, in that place where the soldiers are out in front.
2: Oh, and and where were the soldiers all this time?
5: Well, that robot fella grabbed them and knocked them out. Oh,
6: Susie.
5: Yeah, and then Mr. Carpenter walked into the shed, and the spaceship opened up, and he walked right inside, and it closed again. Gee, I don't like Mr. Carpenter, but I'm scared, Mom. Darling,
6: it was just a bad dream. We'll prove it to you. Tom, will you see if Mr. Carpenter is still up? Ask him to come down here a minute. Helen? Yes, Tom?
2: Helen, he's not there. But look what I found on the carpet.
6: Can't be a diamond, can it? I don't know. It's much too big. It looks
2: real to me.
5: Oh, Mr. Carpenter's got lots of them. He gave a couple of them to me. Here. He gave you these? Well, not exactly. I gave him two dollars.
2: I don't know, but this whole thing, it just doesn't make sense. Look, Helen, do you think it's all right for you to stay here?
6: There's a strong lock on my door. Aunt Susie's going to sleep in my room tonight.
5: Okay.
6: Upstairs, nightmare girl.
5: It wasn't a nightmare.
6: Susie?
5: Yeah, Mom?
6: Susie, your shoes are soaking wet.
5: Yeah, grass on the mall was kind of wet. Good night. Oh, Tom, I wonder...
1: Klaatu had promised what Professor Barnhart termed a little demonstration. Promised it for the following day at noon. It is now two minutes to twelve. In the Department of Commerce building, Helen Benson has left her office on her way to lunch. She stands in the corridor, waiting for an elevator. Mrs. Benson.
6: Mr. Carpenter, what are you doing here?
3: I came to see you.
6: Well, I was just going to lunch. What is it?
3: I saw Susie this morning before she went to school. Yes? I want to know what she told you.
6: Oh, well, Susie has such an active
3: imagination. Did you believe what she told you? Really,
6: Mr. Carpenter, this is where I work, and I only have a short time for lunch today. If you'll excuse
3: well, me. I'll go down with you.
6: If you like. The service elevator's this way. It'll be empty. No. Here, it's open. (laughs) You'll have to press the button, Mr. Carpenter.
3: Oh, Uh, oh, oh, yes.
6: Uh, What is it you want?
3: Before I ask you to be honest with me, perhaps I should be completely honest with you.
6: (gasps) What happened?
3: What time is it? Just 12? We shall be here for a little while. About 30 minutes. We can try pushing other buttons. They won't work.
6: Why not?
3: You see, the electricity has been neutralized. All over the world.
6: Susie was telling the truth, wasn't she? Yes.
1: And out on the street... High noon and silence. All over the world, traffic stopped dead in a million streets. Here and there, a horse-drawn vehicle clopped its melancholy way along the motionless motors. Bicycles moved before awe and the common desolation made the riders stop of their own free will. Electric clocks stopped on the dot of noon. All across the powered world, the machines stood still. Toasters failed to pop and battle fleets on maneuvers drifted aimlessly on their dead propellers. Joe Smith's milkshake didn't spin, Mrs. Housewife's washer stopped in the middle of its cycle, and electric lights went out all over the world.
4: You should see it, Professor Barnhard. You should go out and see it for yourself.
2: Uh, thanks. I am enjoying it from right here.
4: The whole city has stopped. People are running around like ants! Uh,
2: What a brilliant idea! I never would have thought of it. Uh, What about the people who are coming to the meeting tonight? Have they all arrived?
4: Yes. Here's the list, and I talked to most of them on the phone this morning. They're all very curious about the meeting.
2: Uh, Good. Did you speak to our friend, Mr. Carpenter?
4: He'll be there at 8.30.
2: Tell me, Hilda. Does all this frighten you? Does it make you feel insecure?
4: Yes, sir. It certainly does.
2: That's good, Hilda. I'm glad.
1: At a conference table in Washington, a hasty council of the armed services was held. No, I As far as we can tell, gentlemen, all electric power has been cut
0: off. All over, with few exceptions. And even these exceptions are remarkable. Hospitals, planes in flight, that sort of thing. I wish I could be more specific, but all communications are out. Telephones, radio, cables, everything. I can tell you that we are prepared to declare a state of national emergency. But
2: before we start discussing plans, I want a report from Kerr Ryder. All I can report, General, is that the robot at the spaceship was discovered to have moved last night. It knocked unconscious the two soldiers guarding the entrance to the shed the Army engineers had built around the spaceship, indicating that someone, presumably the spaceman, I'd wanted to get into the ship for one reason or another. In all likelihood, to signal the for this
0: demonstration of its planet's power. Yeah, go on, Colonel. Well,
2: uh, that's all, sir.
3: Now,
0: gentlemen, until now, we've agreed on the desirability of capturing this man alive. We can no longer afford to be soft in this matter. We will get him alive if possible, but we must get him. Is that clear, gentlemen? Dead or alive? Get him.
3: This is WCBS, flagship station of the Columbia Broadcasting Network. The time is 8.45 and 20 seconds.
0: Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Lux Radio Theater and its production of The Day the Earth Stood Still. Thank you to our sponsor, Lux Flakes, and the entire family of Lux products, which have graced the homes and pampered the complexions of the greatest Hollywood stars. And now, the curtain rises on Act Three of The Day the Earth Stood Still.
1: All over the world, electric power has been neutralized on the stroke of noon, as a token of the spaceman's power and as a warning to the Earth. While they've been trapped between floors in an elevator, the spaceman has told Helen his identity and purpose here.
3: I've already told you more than I told Professor Barnhart, because my life, in a very real sense, is in your hands. But if I die, a world, your world, may die too.
6: Yes, I, I understand.
3: I thought if you knew the facts, you'd appreciate the importance of my not being caught before the meeting tonight with the world scientists.
6: Yes, of course, of course I do. You hold great hope for this meeting, don't you?
3: I can see no other hope for your planet. If the meeting should fail, then I'm afraid there is no hope.
6: <gasps> oh, <laughs> the lights, and we've started again.
3: It must be 12.30.
6: Yes, exactly. Where are you going now?
3: Back to the boarding house. I'll be safe there for the afternoon. I'll be able to keep an eye on Susie. She's the only other person who knows about me. No,
6: wait a minute. There is someone else.
3: How? There can't be.
6: Tom, he was with me last night when Susie told me what she saw. Well, of course, he doesn't know anything definite, and he'd talk to me first before... But then we we can't take a chance, can we?
3: Can you get in touch with him? I think so. I I mean at once, now. I'll try. Okay, you will. You must.
6: Uh, Hello? Hello? Operator, I was connected with my party, and... Please... Hello? Oh, oh, is this Mr. Tom Stevens' office again? We were disconnected. Well, well I must speak to Mr. Ste- no, no, Mr. Stevens. Yes, this is Mrs. Benson. Benson! Oh, well, when do you expect him then? Well, will you please tell him I called and please not to leave his office. I'm coming down to see him. Yes, yes, it's very important.
2: Margaret, uh, uh, this is Mr. Stevens. Now, I just got in now. Now, listen, call the Pentagon. Uh, Who? Uh, Mrs. Benson? When? When? Yeah, well, never mind. Uh, This is more important. Listen. Now, go call the Pentagon and find out who's in charge of this spaceman business. Whoever it is, I want to talk to him. Tom? Uh, Call me right back and don't take any other calls. Brush them off fast.
6: Tom, I've been trying to get you all afternoon.
2: Have I got some pretty terrific news about your good friend, Mr. Carpenter?
6: What about him?
2: He's the man from the spaceship. I had that diamond, or whatever it is, checked out at three different places. Nobody on Earth's ever seen a stone like that. And after what Susie's told us, that's good enough for me. Why is it that nobody knows anything about this Mr. Carpenter? Why hasn't he got any money?
6: All right, Tom. It's true. I know it's true. But uh, It... How do you know? Well, never mind about that. You've just got to promise me that you won't say a word to anybody.
2: Oh, nobody but the Pentagon.
6: Oh, please, Tom. Are you crazy? After what happened
2: today, he's a menace. You don't understand. You don't realize how important this is. Important? Of course it's important, and we can do something about it. But that's
6: what I'm trying to tell you. We mustn't do anything about it, Tom. Believe me, I know what I'm talking about. He's a
2: menace to the whole world.
6: It's our duty to turn him in. But he isn't a menace. He he told me what he came here for. He,
2: He told you? Oh, come on, honey. Don't be silly just because you happen to like the guy. Do you realize what this will mean for us? I'll be the biggest man in the country. I'll write my own ticket.
6: Is that what you're thinking about?
2: Listen, somebody's got to get rid of him.
6: Tom, I'm not going to let you do it. Tom, don't do it.
2: Hello, Margaret? Yeah? General Cutler? Good. I'll hold on.
6: You don't know what you're doing. It isn't just you and Mr. Carpenter.
2: Mr. Carpenter.
6: It's everybody. The rest of the world is involved.
2: Look, I don't give a hang about the rest of the world. I'm in this for me. Tom! Now, you'll feel different when you see my picture in the papers. (laughs) I I feel different right now. Well, you'll see. You're going to marry a hero. I'm not going to marry anybody.
6: (laughs) Not even a hero.
2: Hey, Helen! Uh, hello? Uh, General Cutler. Um uh, <clears throat> uh, General, my name is Tom Stevens, with a V. I, I have positive information about the spaceman and where he's staying. Right? Yeah. Yeah, of course, I'm sure. He's living at a boarding house at 1615 M Street, oh, Northwest.
0: Uh, Northwest.
2: That is correct.
0: Yes, I have it all now, Mr. Stevens, And thank you very much indeed. I'll want to talk to you further, but I haven't time now. We want to act on this. Yes, sir? Have Colonel Ryder deploy all Zone 5 units according to Plan B immediately. Investigate 1615 M Street, Northwest, for presence of Spaceman. Repeat.
6: Mr. Carpenter.
3: Right here. Did you see Tom? What did he say?
6: It's no good. It's too late.
0: I've got a taxi outside. Hurry. Uh, attention, Zone 5. Attention, Zone 5. Man and woman observed entering taxi at 1615 M Street Northwest. Man is probably Klaatu alias Carpenter. Establish roadblocks according to plan, Baker, and maintain station. Remain on radio alert until further orders.
3: I don't know. I think we may have been seen getting into this taxi.
6: Where can you go?
3: I'm sure Barnhart could arrange to hide me until the meeting tonight.
6: Where is it going to be?
3: At the ship. Oh, now look there. Army cars.
6: Full troops in full gear.
3: The alarm is out all right.
6: It's only a few blocks to Professor Barnhart's.
3: I'm worried about Gort. I'm afraid of what he might do if anything should happen to me.
6: Gort? But he's a
3: robot. He's a product of centuries of refinement.
6: But what could he do without you?
3: There's no limit to what he could do. He could destroy the Earth.
6: Oh, and the city is swarming with patrol cars, hunting you. How can we tell them?
3: They won't listen. You must listen. If anything happens to me, you must go to Gort. You must give him this message. Klaatu Barada Nikto. Klatu Barada Nikto. Say it. Uh, tu barada, uh, barada Nikto. Klaatu
6: Barada Nikto. Klaatu Barada Nikto.
3: Remember those words. tu
6: Barada Nikto.
0: Attention Zone 5, taxi cab moving north on 14th Street from Harvard Street, man and woman in back seat, license number ho 12 h 2 ho Section 2, close in, this is your target
3: vehicle, We're hemmed in. Driver, we'll get out here. I'm going to try to run for it. If they get me, you get to Gort. Ready? Now.
2: There he is. Stop or we'll shoot. Stop or we'll fire.
1: (gasps) Mr. Carpenter.
3: Get that message to Gort.
1: Never mind her. Check the guy.
6: (sighs) Clock two. barana, Nick two. Clock two. barana, Nick two. Clock two. Barada.
1: Centuries, ages of superhuman, superplanetary skill had bred intuition and a dim power of reason into the enormously complex intelligence inside of Gort's metal brain case. When Helen Benson stumbled up to the shed that housed the space machine, the guards were not there. Then she saw them. They were lying inside, their rifles fused and bent. Gort somehow knew that Klaatu was dead. Gort was already on the move. He was on the move toward Helen.
6: No. No. Gort. No.
1: The visor of his helmet was opening on the cosmic incandescence within, seething with world ruin, aiming impassively at Helen.
6: Gort! Gort, gort. Klak-chu <laughs> barara nikto. Klak-chu barara nikto. Klak-chu barara nikto.
1: Helen Benson fainted. When she returned to consciousness, she was lying on a dais bathed in soft, shadowless light in a chamber vaguely circular, of completely unfamiliar build. She was inside the spaceship. Across the room stood Gort, with his back to her, and lying in front of him on a platform was Klaatu.
6: Mr. Carpenter!
1: Gort, the machine, the automaton, was applying electrodes to his master, and a piercing, whining, maddening sound filled the ship. two moved. He sat up. Stood up. Hello.
6: I I thought you were...
3: I was. They took me to an emergency hospital at the city jail. Gord broke in and brought me back here. This technique, in some cases, can restore life for a limited period.
6: How long?
3: You mean how long will I live? That no one can tell. Time enough and more for me to go outside and speak to Professor Barnard's scientists. I must speak to them. It's what I came for. You had better leave now, too. Gort will put out the ramp. And thank you.
2: Under these circumstances, the army people have asked us to leave. And since their concern is for our safety, I can see nothing to do but uh, suggest that we comply.
1: How did it open this? Said the They said he was dead. It is him, just what as in the photo
2: You people of
3: Earth. You men of science, you are here from all over your world, Europe, Asia, representing many nations, many ideas. I am leaving soon. You will forgive me if I speak bluntly. The universe grows smaller every day, and the threat of aggression by any group, anywhere, can no longer be tolerated. There must be security for all, or no one is secure. This does not mean giving up any freedom, except the freedom to act irresponsibly. Your ancestors knew this when they made laws to govern themselves and hired policemen to enforce them. We of the other planets have long accepted this principle. We have an organization for the mutual protection of all planets, and for the complete elimination of aggression. The test of any such higher authority is, of course, the police force that supports it. For our policemen? We created a race of robots. Their function is to patrol the planets in spaceships like this one and preserve the peace. In matters of aggression, we have given them absolute power over us. This power cannot be revoked. At the first sign of violence, they act automatically against the aggressor. The penalty for provoking their action is too terrible to risk. The result is... We live in peace, without arms and armies, secure in the knowledge that we are free from aggression and war, free to pursue more profitable enterprises. Now we do not pretend to have achieved perfection, but we have a system and it works. I came here to give you these facts. It is no concern of ours how you run your own planet, but if you threaten to extend your violence This earth of yours will be reduced to a burned-out cinder. Your choice is simple. Join us and live in peace. Or pursue your present course and face obliteration. We shall be waiting for your answer. The decision rests with you. Goy, Dorenga.
1: they had seen him come, so did they see him depart. And the people of the earth pondered upon the warning.
0: concludes the Lux Radio Theater production of The Day the Earth Stood Still. We hope you enjoyed our show. Please join us again next week for another star-studded production. Every Thursday evening, Lever Brothers Company brings you the Lux Radio Theater. Consult your local newspaper for time and station. This is the CBS Radio Network.